0: In less than a year, our podcast has gone from an average of 10,000 downloads a month to 50,000 downloads. What made the difference? You leaving us a five-star review. The more positive reviews, the more the algorithm picks us up, and more people are confronted by the law and gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us press forward the crown rights of King Jesus by leaving us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks.
1: All right, welcome back to another episode of Theology Applied. I am your host, Pastor Joel Webbin with Right Response Ministries, and in this episode, I am welcoming back for the third time a returning guest, Dr. Tim Chafee. Tim, thanks for coming back.
2: Hey, it's my privilege, Joel. Thanks for having me on again.
1: Absolutely. So for those of you who are maybe just tuning in and you haven't seen our previous episodes, here's the plan. We are doing a mini four-part series covering Tim's book, which I have with me. Here it is. Oh, he's got it too. <laughs> where, real quick, where's it available? Just so that our, our listeners can go check it out.
2: Yeah, you can find it on Amazon or you can go to my website, which is Risen Ministries, uh, risenmin.com. And I believe if, if you use a code of uh, Nephilim, all capitals. You can get fifteen percent off.
1: Great. So, uh, for those who are listening on podcast, I just realized that I held up the book, and so did Tim, but I didn't actually say the name. It's called Fallen: The Sons of God and the Nephilim. Fallen: The Sons of God. And the nephilim. So you can check out the book. What we're doing is we're giving a just you know, obviously we're not getting. It's like a 500 page book, so it is it is not a, uh, a light reading. And he's put a lot of work into it. And in four episodes, there's no possible way that we can cover all of that ground. But we're giving kind of a bird's eye view, you know, synopsis version in this four part series. And what we're doing is part one. If you want to go back and watch that, was uh, the origins of the nephilim. Um, covering the three primary most popular views, the Sethite view, the fallen angel view, the royal view. Uh, And then part two was addressing how, how in the world could the Nephilim survive the flood? And wasn't that the whole purpose of God sending the flood was to wipe them out? And so we talked about how do we have Nephilim on the earth in those days before the flood, the days of Noah and after. Um, And then episode three, we're now going to be talking about the giants. And particularly, we're going to focus our attention on answering probably the biggest question uh, that people usually use as their main objection to this fallen angel view, the fallen angels, sons of God being angels procreating uh, with daughters of men and and forming Nephilim that then come giants, the biggest objection is, well, angels can't procreate with women. So we're going to address that today and then just address the giants in general and talk about uh, different clans of giants and those kinds of things. Um, and then our final episode four, uh, that'll be the next episode after this, will be a catch-all where we address uh, questions that we've been getting in the YouTube comments and um, things that you might uh, that you might want answered. We'll, we'll use that as kind of a Q&A, catch-all episode as the fourth part. So four-part miniseries. Uh, first part is the three popular origins, different views for how the Nephilim originated in the first place. Second is how do they survive or return after the flood, and today is giants and addressing uh, angels, fallen angels um, procreating with women. So all that being said, let's go ahead and uh, hear from Tim. And I think we should maybe just start right there. Tim, how is it that uh, angelic beings could procreate with humans?
2: Uh, well, great question. Um, the Obviously, and we talked about it a little bit before the show, the, the Bible didn't give us a biology lesson on that until it give us all the, the details of how they could. Um, but it does tell us in this passage in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, if we're interpreting it correctly, it's telling us that they did. And so... Scripture doesn't always tell us the how of certain things, especially when it comes to the supernatural um, or the preternatural. Some people prefer that terminology, um, but it, it just tells us this, this did happen. Um, but the, there are some people who uh, like John MacArthur and some others who would uh, t- have taken the view. That's kind of a combination between the fallen angel view and uh, one of the natural views where it's a demons possessed men. And then they did mm. this. Um, I don't, hold that be? because it doesn't it doesn't tell us that it just says the sons of god uh took wives that they were the ones doing it and the the result of that was something unique with the nephilim and so i don't know that a demon possessed person uh having a relationship with a, a demon possessed man having a relationship with a woman would produce anything uh abnormal yeah if the, at the biological level yeah it
1: would still it would be a possessed man but it would still be um, biologically his his, you know, physically it would still just be a man.
2: Right. Yeah. So I think something unique is happening here where it is angels manifesting in obviously rebellious angels. I'm not saying these are good ones doing what they're supposed to be doing. No, they're, they're, they're leaving their proper abode as Jude talks about, and they are uh, cohabiting with women and, uh, producing offspring. So I, I think they take on human form just like you see in Genesis 18, where the two angels came with the Lord. They talk to Abraham for a little bit, and then the Lord talks to Abraham. And then the two angels go down to Sodom to get Lot out of there. They can um, take him by the hand and drag him out of the city. And um, the, the men of the city saw them and apparently viewed them as as men because they, they wanted to molest them. Of course, they, they were wicked people there. Um, and other. So I think you have uh, examples there where they're able to eat and drink with Abraham, and they're able to grab lot by the hand and so that they perform human functions. And why would we assume that they can't uh, do more than just that?
1: Right. Yep. They eat. Um, Yeah. There's human function happening. Um, With that, I'm thinking of, um, well, I'm thinking a little bit about just angels in general. You and I were talking offline and I'd love to pick your brain about this for a moment, but um, are there, are there any female angels that the Bible references? Because it seems as though uh, every single time an angel manifests, like in the case of Lot or the, the three angels and one of them is the angel of the Lord. And, and so my, my view is that, you know, one of those was maybe Christ, not incarnate. It would be before the, um, the you know, uh, Christ, you know, uh, coming to earth um in in taking on flesh but but uh but maybe a theophany or a christophany of christ Mm -hmm. uh same thing as you know a fourth man one who looked as though he was uh, a son of god um you know in the fire so i think of you know shadrach meshach and abednego um same kind of thing i think that that was likely jesus a christophany um but in the case of you know uh the three angels one of them being the angel of the lord uh who visits abraham or the angels with Lot um, or, or just, you know, Michael or Gabriel, uh, mo- multiple instances of angels in the Bible, they all seem to be male. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit? Are, are there female angels or, you know, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I think that's a good question too. And sometimes the, uh, the Bible may just be silent on something, or maybe it doesn't give us enough information to be, um, certain about it. Uh, but Gabriel is a good example of what The last question, too, when he appears to Daniel, it says in Daniel 9, the man Gabriel came to me. Well, he appears in the form of a man and he's called a man. Uh, The angels at the tomb uh, that first Easter morning, uh, it says uh, in Mark's gospel and also in Luke, refer to them as men. Right. Of course, we know they were angels. And uh, I think doesn't Acts do that as well?
1: Uh, at, I can't at, remember at the
2: ascension at the yeah oh yeah they're male, mm-hmm. um, but these are they're angels and so they appear as men and uh, can be described that way. But as far as whether there are any female ones, um, the only I, reference I don't,
1: I don't, is Zechariah, right? <laughs> but it doesn't seem to be a positive reference, and we can flesh that yeah. out. You know, but but go ahead and share with me and our listeners what we were talking about earlier.
2: Yeah, so in Zechariah you have this vision of the the basket that is carried by two storks to to babylon and it's um you know there are different ways to interpret that but let's just focus on the the vision itself a little bit um it, it refers to them in a feminine form uh, so that as as female um and most people think these are representing demons at that point so you would have two de- two demonic spirits that they happen to be fallen angels as we talked about last week then that would possibly be some sort of allusion or reference to maybe some angels were are spoken of in the in the feminine um it's also just a vision and so i don't want sometimes you got to be careful to read too much into it and uh if demons are the disembodied spirits of the nephilim that we talked about last week is or last in our last episode then that I guess that wouldn't necessarily show whether there were angels that are female, but just that some of the the Nephilim maybe right. would have been. Um, so I, I think that's about as far as you can go on that passage. But you do have the at what is the Hebrews is it chapter thirteen where it talks about how we should uh, be hospitable to right. uh-huh. strangers because some people have entertained angels unaware. Um, that obviously Abraham was entertaining. Uh, I, I agree with you. This likely a theophany or christophany there and then two angels uh but i don't know that he was unaware of that so i think it's referring to other people have at times encountered angelic messengers and welcomed them and um for who knows what purpose I and mean, obviously god has a purpose in doing it uh maybe perhaps they could appear in female form that we just aren't given a clear example where they they have been or where they right.
1: did right um, one thing that's, I find interesting about angelic beings is that there's no, there's no, um, as far as we can tell, there's no federal headship. Um, like we have, you know, we have families, uh, here on earth with human beings and animal kind, you know, that there are, um, even among lions, you know, there would be a pride, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, there's always going to be, you know, silverback gorillas or a wolf pack or whatever. There's um there's a head and it's male it's always going you know it's male and so um with us you know we have posterity we have our our descendants our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren but with angelic beings it doesn't seem as there's any um there may still be hierarchy among angelic beings but there's not a federal headship where um when adam fell all his posterity fell with him um Whereas angels, it seems like if they are to fall, they you know that one angel falling wouldn't it cause the whole angelic race, for lack of a better phrase, to fall with that particular angel. Um, but that each angel,
2: yeah, I heard I heard one person put it this way: that each angel is species unique. Hmm. Which I, I thought that was an interesting way to, to think of them, because you're right that it, when when Satan rebels, it doesn't mean Michael does as well. It doesn't hmm. mean the rest of them that they they make that decision whether they're going to or not.
1: Right. Yeah. So there's not that federal headship and it seems as though, you know, multiple particular, you know, uh, possible motivations. And so this does get into speculation, but in terms of why angels would want to procreate with the daughters of men, um, one of the, I was going to say earlier, one of the reasons why I I find it not very compelling that it's simply angels possessing um, human men, um, is because I think that one of their purposes was to, um, to corrupt the, the seed. It was to thwart this messianic promise that, you know, that, that, you know, God spoke in the garden and the serpent was there and, uh, spoke that, you know, that your seed, the seed of the woman would crush, uh, one day crush his head. He's going to strike uh, your your seeds heal your offsprings heal, heal. there'll be immunity between your offspring and his and he you know the serpent will strike his heel but he your your seed will uh, crush his head and so satan had this um understanding this knowledge that through the woman through the hu- human line eventually uh, there would be a child who would be uh his ultimate uh destruction and so the idea of of just possessing a human being a man, uh, to, to then procreate with a human woman. Um, you know, I, I, you, there could be negative influence, negative moral influence, and, you know, these kinds of things, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't, uh, at, in a, in an ontological objective sense thwart the, the promise, the, the, the line, the messianic line from which, you know, Christ would one day come. Uh, but if, if it's actually, uh, angelic seed and the, a hybrid is, and it's not even fully human anymore at this point, um, then that would uh, pose a, a threat to uh, a messianic human uh, man child that that would be the ultimate demise of Satan. So I think that that I just think that that's one of the chief motivations for why these sons of God, fallen angels, did what they did. I don't think it was just to, um, to you know, for pleasure or or, or just uh, to negatively influence humanity and and tempt them to certain various forms of sin. I think it, there was an objective strategic aim of stopping the messianic promise what, what do you think about that uh,
2: yeah i think that's very possible I, I don't know that the bible gives that definitively that that's exactly what they were trying to do i mean it does tell us that um, genesis 6 two that they saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful uh, or that they were good that's true um, so that they similar to uh in genesis 3 eve sees the fruit that was good and pleasing to the eye that sort of thing so there was a desire there but it probably goes beyond just a, a longing or a lust or something like that. There, there's, uh, I, I agree that it's likely they were trying to corrupt the messianic line. In fact, there, there maybe is a hint in Genesis six, nine, where it talks about how Noah was a man blameless in his generations. That's the word, the word blameless there in Hebrew is the same word that's used to, to describe the um, like the Passover lamb. Then you mm. need to be without blemish. So in a sense, he is not tainted, right? Um, and yeah, I've so a lot that, of people that say could that. be an indication that he's he he doesn't have that in his lineage at all, whereas the others did. Um, right? Yes, yeah, so I, I think that's very possible.
1: Did you know that fresh American black elderberries are naturally high in vitamin C, vitamin B6, phosphorus, and vitamin A, as well as many anthocyanins that serve as antioxidants? Regular supplementation with elderberry extracts has been shown to decrease chance of influenza and lessen cold duration and symptoms. The King's Ridge fresh frozen elderberries are handpicked, de-stemmed, washed, and quickly frozen at their family farm in East Central Indiana. The Kings Ridge is a quality oriented family farm focused on building Christendom. Our friends Trevor and Autumn truly hope that their elderberry syrup and fresh frozen elderberries bless your family this cold and flu season. Don't buy dried European elderberries and support the global economic agenda. Instead, visit TKRFARM.com and purchase your elderberry needs from the Kings Ridge Elderberries. Again, that's TKRFARM.com. Would you like to get control of your money and set up a system that will guarantee for the rest of your life tax-protected compounding interest and growth? How about having 24-7 electronic access to your money for funding wisely chosen investments, home improvements, and other large expenditures without going to the mainstream banks? This is not a dream, but it could actually be a reality when working with our sponsor, Private Family Banking. See their contact information in the show notes below. To make this season even brighter, Private Family Banking is giving away a pair of tickets
0: a $500 value for the upcoming Blueprints for Christendom 2.0 conference, which is taking place on March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of 2024
1: in Taylor, Texas. To enter the ticket giveaway, join their email list by sending an email to banking at privatefamilybanking.com. Again, that's banking at private family familybanking.com with the subject line of your email saying tickets. Then include your full name and mailing address in the body of the email. The ticket giveaway entry period will end at midnight central time on February 13th, 2024. And the winner will be notified via email on February 14th. You must be 18 years of age or older to enter, and only one email per person can be entered into this giveaway drawing. So another verse uh, that people use for uh, objection to, you know, the ability of uh, fallen angels to procreate with the daughters of men is that Jesus says uh, angels will not, um, what is it? Angels will not be given to marriage uh, in heaven. Do you remember that particular verse?
2: Yeah, Matthew twenty-two thirty says Jesus. This is the passage with the Sadducees. You know, the the woman marries a guy, he dies. She married the brother, right. he dies. You know, seven times. Who's he? Gonna, who's she going to be married to? And then he says, "You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God." And then verse thirty. Uh, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like the angels of God in heaven and so people look at that and say well there's no way because the, the angels they they what they say is they can't get married because that's what it just says there well that's not what it says uh, Jesus doesn't say that he says in heaven they neither marry nor are given in marriage and uh, so he doesn't he doesn't say the one. He doesn't say anything about the ones who leave their proper abode. Right. and, and right. are I feel like that's them.
1: so easy to to counter by just saying, uh, "Yeah, the ones in heaven don't do this." And it's also it's uh, this is um, the language is this is what they don't do, and the language right. is never not. This well, is what. They, yeah. Can, go ahead.
2: Can't do. Yeah, and, and what's interesting to me is if you look at the parallel passage in Luke, uh, the, the same setup, and then he says, "The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage." But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So it's it's interesting that Jesus refers to humans when we are glorified um, in the resurrection, when we have our resurrected bodies, then we are equal to the angels and are what? And are sons of God at Mm. that point. Um, So when it's fully realized uh, the, the idea that we're sons of God it's almost as if he'd given a little bit of a nod to what we would say for the fallen angel view that right. the sons of God they are they're angelic beings
1: right okay um any other things that you want to add uh, on on this point
2: on whether they could do that um No, they'll have to get the book in order to find the (laughs) right. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, well then
1: let's just talk a little bit about the giants. So correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is you have, you know, you have sons of God, right? This divine council. And I I, I think there's a lot of merit to the the divine council view. So I'm not, you know, I don't uh, prescribe to everything that Michael Heiser, you know, writes about, but uh, the unseen realm and I appreciate him, and I believe he's with the Lord now. Uh, he recently passed away, and I think he was faithful in, in many regards. Uh, he does have a particular disdain for Calvinism, and I do happen to be a Calvinist, so, so I would have some disagreements with Dr. Michael Hauser, Uh Well, well he, he,
2: he did with um, dispensationalism as well. So, he, okay, yeah. well there you go. <laughs> so so he, didn't, he probably wouldn't have liked either one of us. The whole, yeah, there you no, go. He, he, was, um, he, was, he was a nice man. So
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've and I've watched some of his interviews and uh, really fascinating stuff, and you can tell he takes the scripture and languages uh, very seriously. And so, um, but all that being said, the divine council kind of idea that uh, like God even saying, you know, that's one of the big objections that people had to Heiser that he, you know dared to, you know, just entertain the possibility that let us make man in our image may not actually be Trinitarian language, uh, which is always, you know, typically assumed. I I assume that, uh, but this idea of God working with divine councils and that there are other gods, um, but not gods in the sense of um, infinite or, you know, not not gods that are creator gods, infinite gods. Uh, There was only one God. You are God above all the other gods, uh, as we see in the scripture, king of kings, Lord of lords. Uh, but that there all are these um, these lesser capital, you know, lowercase g gods uh, that God himself created to function and to rule um, as, you know, as vice regents with him over the earth in different capacities and these kinds of things. And so you see that, you know, uh, in Job, you know, the first two chapters of Job, this, you know, this divine council and there are other places that, that speak of it as well. And so w- with all that being said, um, we start with, you know, sons of God being Angelic beings, um, and then fallen sons of God, those who rebelled against Him, and um, and are now um, cast down to earth, um, that left their heavenly abodes or cut, went down to earth, and then you have uh, the offspring of fallen angels, sons of God, and daughters of men, uh, human women, being nephilim, uh, and then. From there, the the next progression would be from the Nephilim, you then get the giants. Is that right? The right progression there?
2: Well, or that the Nephilim just are giants. And then you have the different clans from there. So like the Anakim and the Emim and those other ones that are mentioned. So, Flesh that out a little bit. So
1: the the Nephilim themselves are giants, but they could also, the Nephilim could then have wives, human, you know, wives, uh, and their children would likely be giants as well. But each time, maybe a little bit less pure in
2: terms of... Yeah, pr- presuming that they are mar- that the Nephilim themselves are marrying human women, uh, there's the possibility. I think we we'll probably uh, touch on this in our next one that maybe some of the offspring of the sons of God and daughters of men would be female, and so then you could have I see Nephilim male and female uh, marrying. Um, but um, I see, yeah, e- either option would would be I think within the with are plausible with right. scripture.
1: Okay. That's really helpful. I did not think about, I mean, of course that makes sense, but I didn't think about that possibility of uh, one Nephilim and another Nephilim. And we're going to keep the, you know, the bloodline pure, which is funny to say, cause it's 50%, you know, 50, 50, <laughs> right. But, you know, but is you know, at least, you know, keeping it at the 50%, um, you know, percentage rather than 25 and then, you know, 12.5. And so, um, okay. So let's, let's talk about giants. And so my, my perspective is that, you know, that you had, um, you know, initial I, so I, I do think, and we've talked about this in our second episode, but different kinds of angels, uh, species unique, each one could have been unique with different traits and different abilities or different knowledges, you know, and able to, to pass those things down, to teach certain things and technology even. Um, and not only that, I personally think that, you know, that it's possible that within uh, that realm that, you know, some Nephilim, depending on who that fallen angel father might've been, could have been larger than others in terms of their physical stature and size. Um, and so with all these things you know and then multiple incursions um, that you know you could have very large giants in in the you know antediluvian you know pre-flood days but then also uh, large giants again in the time of you know uh, Moses or Abraham or, or even Joshua um, in the conquest of Canaan but it does seem like the Giants eventually uh, begin to kind of pitter out um, And so my view is that you know by the time you get to King David and Goliath, for instance, uh, it seems like these are just the leftovers from Joshua because it actually I just taught taught through Joshua, in our church um, uh, this year, and and you know going verse by verse, and it says you know Joshua defeated um, uh, multiple different clans in Canaan, one of them being the Anakim. And uh, defeated them from this region to that region and cleared them out to where uh, the only ones that lived, he put most of them uh, to the edge of the sword. The only ones that lived went to Gaza, Gath, and uh, one other place. What is it?
2: Ashdod. Ashdod. And Yeah, I think uh, that's Judges eleven twenty one. Or Joshua eleven twenty one, I think.
1: Yeah. Right. And then lo and behold, you know, you find Goliath, uh, you know, from Gath. And so but mm-hmm. I think by the time you get to David, to me, my assessment is that Goliath is, you know, he's he's multiple generations removed from Anak. He's in that line, uh, the Anakim and, and Anak is, his father was Arba, a man of renown that could be, I, I think could be a Nephilim. Uh but you know, that's a plural. What what do you call it? A nephah Naphil. Nafil, that could, Nafil. So Arba could be a, a Nafil, Um, But by the time you get to Goliath, I, I view that as Goliath might be one of the smaller giants. But I think this is where you and I would maybe differ, that you think, no, Goliath uh, is on par for the giants only got so big. Could we talk about that a little bit? Sure.
2: Yeah. Um, you also have David's mighty men fighting against Um, it says there was war in Gath and that's where you have these other giants that are mentioned that David's mighty men killed. So Goliath's brothers or his uh, uh, descendants, depending on how that gets translated. Um, And then they do seem to disappear after that point. But yeah, they were all Gaza, Gath, Ashdod, that area. Uh, They were the only ones that were left that that Joshua didn't wipe out or drive out of the land. Um, and, And I think that's instructive because you have at the same time one of the battles with David's mighty men kills an Egyptian man and mm-hmm. called him a man of measure or a man of stature. But he says he's five cubits tall, so that would be roughly seven and a half feet tall. Um, a little bit taller than me. I'm <laughs> Joel and I got to meet, he knows I'm right, I'm pretty, I'm pretty six large. Foot nine. Six nine. Yep. Yeah, um, and but he's not called a giant, this Egyptian guy. So at seven and a half feet, he's not identified in that way at all. So right. he just seems to be a, a very Tall person, like we have very tall people today. He's not identified with any of those tribes or, or anything. So he he seems to be different. Um, Just a normal human. That's a great
1: point, though. I didn't think like, because people say, well, Israelites, ancient Israelites were five foot two, you know, and so when they went up against the Canaanites, you know, these could have just been people who are five eleven, you know, or six feet tall. And to them, it was giants, you know, but that's a great point to say, no, here's a guy who's not from one of the giant clans. And so he's not named a giant. He's just called a man of stature or a tall man. And a tall man is seven and a half. And if that's the case, then what do you think a giant is? It's got to be bigger than that.
2: Yeah, and, and the whole idea that the ancient Israelites were only five two—that nearly everybody who does that cites one book, one of the handbooks to the Old Testament. I end up getting that exact edition, and that is in the very beginning of the book. It's like the first or second paragraph where it says, "Here's the average Jewish person at that time." No footnote, no documentation. It's just stated, and everybody cites that one thing. I think it comes from a one cemetery uh, from that from the Old Testament time. Uh, okay. One of the times of the Old Testament, I should say, and they average the height of the people there. But there have been other studies um, where there was a cave that they found a bunch of remains of humans from about the 13th century BC. Uh, so, like the period of Judges, mm-hmm. and reconstructing based on jaw size and everything, they estimate the average Israelite at that time was about 5'6. Hmm. So, it's a little bigger. And that's male and female combined. It's not just the average man. Right. Um, so, maybe okay. not quite as short as everybody thinks. Yeah. Uh, but going back helpful. to. Yeah, and I document that in the book so that um, if people are wondering where that comes from. the um, Going back to Joshua's time and Moses' time, you've got Og, uh, which we need to get to him and talk yeah, about him. It's I, all yeah. this interesting verse, what is that? Deuteronomy 3, uh, 10 and 11 talks about how once they killed Og of Bashan, um, it says his bedstead was still there. Um, his, his, so his bed was left over. It was iron. Uh, not just a normal wooden one or something. Maybe it's stressing that it was iron because he was really big and needed something strong, right. <laughs> but it tells us how big it was and in cubits. Um, so it'd be nine, nine cubits by four cubits. So about 13 and a half feet by six feet. Mm-hmm. And so if he was as tall as his bed was long, so 13 and a half feet, that makes him exactly twice my height. And so it, it makes for a good, um, you know, a, a good illustration i guess so if he was let's say let's go with that that he's thirteen six. if he were built to my proportions and maybe he's even stronger thicker i don't know um but i right now i'm around 230 pounds so he would be you you don't just double my weight you have to multiply it by eight So you have to go you have to double the height double the the depth and the breadth so mm-hmm. you multiply my weight by eight so you get up to uh yeah about 1800 pounds at 13 and a half feet um is that possible for a human to be that size well the, the skeletal structure can hold the weight you know just because of the compressive strength of the bone is pretty strong if you're just standing there but once you start moving and you get the 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 torsion and you know things moving it, it it's it becomes pretty difficult for as you get bigger and bigger than that, you know, like you see some pictures on the internet. Oh, they were 30, 40, 50 feet tall. Well, imagine 27 feet tall. You have to double, go double Og's height. Then you multiply that other weight, 1800, roughly 1800 pounds by eight. And then you're looking at somebody who is uh, not a math major, but I think around seven tons. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it, it pretty quickly seems out of the realm of possibility. Now, And you're saying it's out
1: of the realm of possibility because the bone structure couldn't support it?
2: I I don't know if it's just the bone as much as also the organs and everything else. I know some people say, but we're dealing with entities that are part supernatural being as well. And and that's true. So maybe that plays into it where they could be larger. Um, Maybe that 12, 13 foot range is more of the upper limit. Um, So there's an old Egyptian... Um, it's not a document. It, it's a writing that was found, but, uh, but it's I think it was called craft of the scribe. And it talked about the, the Shasu people in uh, which is in the land of Canaan. And they were afraid of them. Um, and they talked about how they were, when you work it out, according to the Egyptian cubit, but they would be eight foot seven from nose to toe. So from here down. Okay. Um, and that, but that would still have been close to Moses this time. And, um, or be a little bit before Moses, I think and there's an illustration or a, a relief that's been found where they captured two of the, the Shasu and they have a picture of them kneeling down before all of the Egyptians, which is pretty interesting. Usually when you see like the Egyptian relief, the Pharaoh is the one who's really big, right? In this one, the two spies are kneeling down and they're a little bit taller kneeling and they're kind of squatting even more than that then the people, the Egyptians who are around them, who are beating them and have them held captive. So, Hmm. um, there's, yeah, if you were to scale them up, they look like they'd be about nine to 10 feet, um, which is consistent with what you have with Goliath. So yeah, maybe is the upper range, 13 and a half. And Mm -hmm. when you go beyond there, there, it it seems very difficult to conceive of, you know, a human form that's seven tons or or more. It's definitely
1: difficult to conceive. I'll give you that. But in terms of just the mechanics, I guess, just physically, so hard to imagine a 30 foot tall dude. Um, I definitely agree with that. But I guess my my question.
2: The heart pumping hard enough to get the blood back from the feet all the way up, you know, 20 some feet to where the heart is again. Totally.
1: But a much larger heart you know, so I, in my, and help me understand, cause I'm no, you know, I'm no scientist, but like, to me, it's like, yeah, it's okay. So yeah, the blood's got to pump all the way down to the toes. you got a 20 foot range, you know, for, like, so a lot of the, you know, or like you said, seven tons of weight and not just standing still like a, like a skyscraper or a tower, but this is, this, this is a a person that's moving, walking, running, you know, chasing mm-hmm. at certain points. So all those things uh, totally get it. That, that for me, I, I, and I'm just, again, I'm not a, uh, a scientist so i don't i don't see the, i guess i just don't see the problems with um if everything is you know like if if you've got today you know there you know there, there are guys who where it's it's really um it's it's not uh, a a positive thing it, it's a it's a detriment that somebody is you know uh, 8 plus feet tall mm-hmm. and uh and they you know usually have to have some kind of brace or cane or something like that um uh, but i don't think that that goliath did and he would be even taller at 9 foot 9 um the, the you know, but, but today w- when people have certain ailments, because they're, they're very, uh, very tall or very large, um, it's, it's because it's disproportional, uh, in my understanding, but if somebody is fully proportional to it, yeah, you, the blood's got to go 20 feet from the heart to the toes, but, uh, but that heart is proportional for that size. But It's, it's a massive heart and it's a, you know, and the bones are massive bones and that, um, is there any, is there any, uh, reason, like what, what do you, it's hard to imagine a thirty-foot-tall person, sure, but but from a physical Uh-oh. standpoint, what what are the problems with that?
2: Yes, yeah, so I'm just thinking about like a giraffe or something. You so the bull giraffe is about eighteen, can get up to about eighteen feet uh, tall, but they have to have special features in their anatomy, like their their skin is super tight, which helps force the leg the blood back up from the leg and in order to get back to the heart, the heart I think is like two feet long. Um, they have to have a special thing before their brain, below their brain. So when they bend down to drink, the blood doesn't just rush all the way in there and just blast their brain. So there's certain, there's certain physiological things that have to be in place. And and maybe that sort of thing would, you know, the bigger you get, but I just, I do think there's a, a a limit because of our physiology. Okay. Um, and I don't know exactly what that number is. I I just, um, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I I think once you get beyond the thirteen, it it really becomes extreme. But again, wh- because there is a bit of supernatural involved, there maybe it right. allows more. And and I think as even if let's say that Aug were twice my height and uh, we're we're going to say that he has to be to my dimension, I think there's probably a little bit of streamlining going on. So rather than being exactly eight times my weight, maybe it's more like seven or seven and a half. Just uh, but anyways it's still it pretty soon gets pretty hard to massive fathom
1: yeah yeah massive
2: but either way i mean a 10 foot tall person is going to look incredibly huge <laughs> oh totally yeah totally
1: i we just um i so at the time of recording this we're still early november but uh <laughs> but i have already set up my christmas tree because i can't wait uh the Webb and family <laughs> we're big fans of christmas and um but i you know we have a 9 foot tree and i was looking at it last night and i was like just imagining like if that was a person i was like yeah that's a big that's a yeah. big dude that's a, you know 9 feet is huge it it really is you know and so um so i hear you. uh what what do you so i guess you know w- with amos um they were you know as tall as the cedars you know the uh what is it the malachites i think is what yeah you know, the Amalekites. yeah it's the only
2: time they're uh, that's the only time they're ever called uh, Giants in the Bible, but Amos 2, nine, I think. Yeah, that's about it. How they're, yep. Like the height as of cedars or strength as the oak or something like that. And, and I think there's, you know, some figurative language going on there. They're, they're huge. And, um, right. it just, yeah, like and the, the Bible uses up, figurative
1: language. It doesn't have to be literal. But I, I did look into like, you know, in summer, like 60 to hundred uh, 120 feet tall. But I, I looked into like cedars in that particular region and what people think at that time. And 30 to 40 is most of what I could find.
2: Well, and you have the spies talking about how we were like grasshoppers in their sight, right um, so if we take that super literally, a grasshopper's like an inch or two big, and you know and the, that would, and the, that one would
1: be yeah, if you take that literally, then that that kind of blows the Amos two nine cedar passage out of the water.
2: But, but if you are, you know, if you're five foot six or five foot eight and you're standing next to somebody who's 10 feet tall, I mean, I've got a picture in my book, I, I think of Robert Wadlow, you know, the tallest man in modern times, who, eight foot 11 and three quarters, I think he got to standing next to his dad who was, you know, five and a half feet or something. And it's just, it, he makes him look so puny because of how massive this guy is, he's mm-hmm. I mean, not even twice the height.
0: All right, everybody's been asking, can I live stream your conference? And the answer is a resounding no. You will be there in person or you will not be there at all. I'm just kidding. You actually can live stream the conference. We're excited to announce we're making it available to anybody and everybody who wants to watch this conference right as it's happening, which is March 1st and 2nd. That's a Friday and Saturday of 2024. What conference am I even talking about? It's called Blueprints for Christendom 2.0. We've got Pastor Douglas Wilson. We've got Dr. Joe Boot. We've got Brian Sovey we We've got Eric Kahn. And then of course, yours truly, Joel Webbin. we've got seven primary sessions in the conference, each one being probably 50 to 60 minute long uh, sessions, lectures, sermons, whatever you want to call them. And then two live panels, each being an hour and a half long. Now, one of the panels is on biblical patriarchy. We're going to have uh, Pastor Douglas Wilson available for that panel and we decided to get Eric Kahn because Eric Kahn, Biblical Patriarchy, let's just be honest, it's a sensitive topic, but Eric Kahn I think is known as one of the most nuanced, careful, and sensitive individuals, especially on the Twitter street. So we're gonna have him as a part of that panel. It'll go really well. Then the second panel is Haunted Cosmos Live Show. You've got Brian Sauvey and Ben Garrett talking about the most unhinged things imaginable, hopefully some things that are actually true truthful now th- th- there will be some truthful things you're going to stick to scripture and when they speculate and you know they will they'll at least let you know that it's speculation and they won't pass it off as though it's in the infallible word of god so live stream this conference how do you do it go to patreon.com forward slash right response ministries again that's patreon.com forward slash right response ministries a lot of guys charge 50 bucks 60 bucks 80 bucks we are asking that you would simply partner with us for $10 a month. And let's be real, you could do it one month, live stream all the content, and then cancel your subscription. And if you do, no harm, no foul. If you wanna stick with us and support this ministry, what God's doing through Right Response, then praise God, that's great, and we thank you. Either way, technically, it's only 10 bucks.
1: Right? Here's one other question I have uh, about just birthing. Uh, so, so some people say, you know, well, how could angels procreate with, you know, uh, women? But another question is like, well, how could, how could a woman give birth to, you know, a a, a baby that's going to be nine foot nine, you know, or possibly in the case of Aug or, you know, like 13, 14, like how, how is it that human women could give birth to a giant? What, what do you think about that? Uh,
2: so let me turn the question around you real quick do you know how big you were when you were born your weight
1: yeah eight pounds um uh, i think i was eight eight or eight nine oh,
2: i was eight five so you were bigger than me there you go but who's bigger today you no. <laughs> yeah um, so even if even if this baby's going to be a giant it doesn't necessarily mean that the the size at birth is going to be considerably larger Um, uh, but the, you know there are i've got a friend who's they they're I think their eighth baby was, um, 12 pounds at birth. We went to see him in the hospital and our, our little, bo- our, our son, who's just turned 21. Now he was a little, little boy at the time. We said, Hey, Judah, look at the little baby! It's not a little baby it's <laughs> like a toddler sitting there and he's newborn, yeah. um, uh, at 12 pounds. So, um, so even if somebody, my size was eight pounds and five ounces at birth, um, you could have somebody who's going to, end up being, you know, several feet taller than me who wouldn't have to be a lot bigger at birth.
1: Right. Yeah, that's the, okay. I'm glad to hear you said that. that's what I've always thought was that um and and just looking at like, you know, babe like the largest baby ever born and looking at some of those facts like um you can have a 12 pound baby. I have, I have a friend who was 11, you know, 11 pounds, two ounces, 12 pounds. Mm-hmm. You've got that story. So, uh, and looking at some of the largest babies that, that were born, uh, you know, all the way up to close to 20 pounds, 18 to 20 pound babies, um, and that's certainly not ordinary or, or regular, but it can happen. And so, so then you think like, okay, well, so let's say you know, cut the difference and go a little bit smaller than you know, but like 15, 16 pound babies, and and that doesn't even factor in uh, if these babies have angelic fa- fathers who know things about, you know, life and medicine and all these, like, what, what about, um, because we're, we're just discussing, you know, uh, full term babies at eight, five who grow up to, mm-hmm. you know, eight, eight pounds, five ounces that grow up to be six foot nine, such as yourself. Um, there's also the possibility of, uh, early births that, uh, premature that, yep. uh, these angelic fathers could have said, okay, that's it. It's been six months. We're not going to go a full 10, you know, like we're going to take the baby out now, we know how to do this, you know, and and uh, and so the baby's coming out premature, at you know where where if it was a normal size baby by today's standards, you know at at six months that that baby would uh, very likely only be, um, you know, well we just had two two baby, uh, I'm sorry one one baby in our church that was premature by about I believe it was about two months early, hmm. um, so so about seven months. No, no, it was earlier than that. It was like 20 weeks. So, so about half, so like four and a half months in, in the NICU for, um, for quite a long time. Um, but, uh, close to 20 weeks, like 23, 24 something like that. Okay. Um, and, and, uh, and, and the baby was tiny, like, um, uh, I think like two pounds and, yeah. um, but the baby is alive the baby is here and obviously we have certain technology that people didn't in the past but having an angelic father and and some you know i i would imagine that they would have some special abilities and skills and knowledges and stuff like that so you know, so anyways, my point is just to say that, you know, you could have an eight pound, five ounce baby such as yourself that grows to be six foot nine. Uh, and that's, you know, full term, uh, why not, why not a 12 pound baby or a 15 pound baby? And again, that being full term, what, what about a 12, 15 pound baby that's at six months, not even full term. And the angelic fathers say, all right, it's time to deliver the child early. And like now, now I feel like the the sky's the limit cedar trees are back on the menu tim uh, we,
0: we can do it we can get 30 foot we can get 30 foot giants so anyways
2: well yeah or if, if you just need if you have women that are or, you know female giants at some point right. then just that uh Problem solved. yeah i mean obviously all, a lot of that is speculation we don't know yeah. the, the growth chart you know that the, <laughs> right. are they 99th percentile the, the day that they're born and from then on um uh, yeah, we right. just simply don't know all those things.
1: So, any any more thoughts on uh, fallen angels procreating with women? Or yeah, let's
2: let's real quickly tackle. Uh, you hinted at a little bit or, uh, a little bit ago, and I cover it in the book uh, in one of the objections. Because uh, as I mentioned to you before, any any view that is correct has to be able to address its objections and uh, answer those. And and I've noticed um, many times people who hold to the set type view will never touch the objections they they will just attack the fallen angel view and think that they've done their homework and no there are significant textual issues with that view that need to be addressed and i never hear people addressing them but um one objection to the fallen angel view is like in genesis 1 talks about how they bring forth after their kind and um so if how can humans and angels if if they're different kinds how can that happen well a couple things to keep in mind one uh, the Bible never says humans will bring forth that their kind. That's only that's referring to the plants and the animals. Uh, I'm not saying that humans don't. I'm just tell- I'm just stating a fact the Bible never uses that terminology when it comes to humans. Um, but secondly, if angels are also made in God's image. So when God says, if what you were talking about earlier with Dr. Heiser saying that the, the, this divine counsel, Genesis 126, let us make man in our image. If that's not Trinitarian language, if he is speaking to the angel, then they are made in God's image as well. And if we are made in God's image, then would that preclude, you know, if they if both have the Imago Dei, um, then perhaps when they appear in human form, if they appear as humans, it's not a violation of kind.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Any other thoughts on... Um-
2: Oh, I've got lots on that, but I, I want to talk about giants. And I mean, there is some yeah. cool stuff in there when we get into Joshua and Judges, so, or Joshua, I should say. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, go ahead. Talk talk about giants, so.
2: Yeah. So you talked earlier about the. Um, I, I've got a chapter called Giant Speculation. So I am going to tell you what I am just speculating, rather than just trying to be sensationalistic or something. That's not the goal of the book. It's to be a, a, as I mentioned before in earlier episodes, a serious Bible study. But one of the things that that was pretty cool. You talked about how Joshua drove them out. Uh, the, the Anakim from everywhere except for Gazagath and Ashdod well it doesn't mean every single one of them was killed they were some of them were killed some fled and what I found really interesting is that you do have these legends of giants in different cultures around the world you have um, you know the, the Greeks have something similar to this where you have the the gods coming down and having affairs with women and producing demigods and sometimes they're described as giants Um so um, like Orion and others, um, and you have in the Norse mythology, the same sort of thing. But um, one story that I think is really interesting is The Odyssey uh, by Homer. Uh, it's about the, the Battle of Troy ends, and you have o- Odysseus or, or Ulysses, depending on your translation there, um, is trying to get home. And that's what the whole book of The Odyssey is about. He's trying, he's trying to get home. And the, so he's got a fleet of 21 ships. The very, so they leave from Troy and this is, there was a real battle of Troy. I'm not saying everything in the Odyssey is historical record. (laughs) That's not what I'm going for here, but there was a real battle of Troy. What if there really was a guy named Odysseus who's trying to get home and had a lot of problems getting back. So he's got a fleet of 21 ships and the first island they stop at. So this would be somewhere in the Mediterranean, Eastern Mediterranean is it's called the island of the Lystragonians, and they go to uh, some of his men are sent up to uh, the ruler of the island and he's a giant and he takes two of the men and dashes them against the ground and starts eating them Hmm. and then the rest of the guys flee try to get back to the ships the giants run out and they start spearing the men like fish uh they destroy 20 of the ships all but one of them and it's odysseus's uh he gets away with just one ship left, the rest are killed and eaten by giants. The next island he gets to the island is the island that's is the one most people know about, the island of the Cyclops. And here you have a giant who wants to eat people. Mm-hmm. And he traps Ulysses and or Odysseus in his cave with some others for a little while and they escape. And then you have the rest of the Odyssey. So I find that interesting because in Numbers chapter 13, when the spies return from the land, they talk about how it's a great land you know, here's its produce, you know, they're, they're, they got the grapes and everything and they're telling it's a truly as a land flowing with milk and honey. Um, Joshua and Caleb are like, let's go. And then the other 10 are like, no, 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 it's, it's a land that devours its inhabitants. Mm. And they start trying to dissuade the people from going. They're scared because the people there are, uh, giants we, there. We saw the Nephilim or we, we saw the Nephilim. They're the Anakim or of the Nephilim. Mm. And, um, so they're trying to scare the people not to go in. But that one phrase they used is really interesting to me that the, the land that de- it's a land that devours its inhabitants. And if you read commentaries, a lot of times they'll say things like, um, well, it's a, a land that's been ravaged by war back and forth. And I'm thinking, well, if you're the Israelites, isn't that great? The people are weakened because they've been fighting. Right. all the time. Let's go take them. Um, and so they have all sorts of different interpretations. What if we just take that in a very straightforward way that the, the The, when they're talking about the giants, it devours its inhabitants. What if these are the giants are eating people and that's what scares the rest of the Israelites to death? Right. We don't want to go because in the next chapter, Joshua and Caleb are still trying to persuade them, like, don't, don't disobey God. Let's go. They will be meat for us. They Mm. use that phrase. So it's, it's almost as if you had a cannibal, cannibalism going on there. So you had these giants who are eating people. If you were in that if you were one of the giants and you fled rather than getting killed by Joshua's armies, where would you flee? The Israelites are coming from the south and from the east, meaning you would go north or west, which is the Mediterranean Sea. And about a hundred to two hundred years after Joshua, you have the Battle of Troy. Mm. Is it possible that, w- that that we're getting some sort of legendary embellishment of something that really happened at the beginning of the Odyssey, and maybe? The giants eating humans. For the record, I don't eat humans. I, you know, just, <laughs> just, just, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not, not a giant. That. You're I six do foot that.
1: nine. You, you, you don't make the cut,
2: <laughs> right? But you have the same sort of idea throughout so many different stories. Even something as like Jack and the Beanstalk, the giant one. You know, I smell the blood of Englishman. He, he wants to eat eat people. Yeah. And where does, where does he where do the giants live? Halfway between heaven and earth. They're part heaven, part earth. So there's just a whole bunch of stories mythology that all line up pretty well with that idea and i think that they're distortions or or ideas that are borrowed from reality
1: yeah that's really interesting yeah i think there's a lot of things like that personally i think there's a lot of myths that um that sure are probably um off on some of the details or embellished in some regard but um i think there are a lot of myths that point towards the fact that uh it's not, you know, it's not that we all have, you know, one shared conscience, uh, uh, conscious, um, but, um, as some have presupposed, but, um, but that we all did come from one family that we all, you know, twice you know, from Adam and then yeah. from Noah, you know? And so, um, so yeah, I, you know, the fact that there's a flood narrative with every, every different people group on the planet virtually, like has some kind of in there. If they have history that goes back that far whether it be oral tradition or written there's there's just certain building blocks that you find universally across the board flood mm-hmm. giants like th- this and that you know or like so demigods um which you know part you know part god you know um and part uh part you know who mated with some woman and it's half god half man kind of thing you know um like you said orion um that's well it's like I, the bible I think the Bible addresses this. I think these things are, they're not only myths. I think a lot of things that we chalk up to legend and myth are probably actually historical accounts told in an, maybe in an entertaining, extra entertaining manner based off of a certain culture and their customs and the way that they would share history. Um, But I don't think these things are just made up, um, you know, stories.
2: Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, any any other n- neat, nifty uh, tidbits about giants that you want to share?
2: Um, I, I mean, they're, they're, I'd have to look at the table of contents again. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just going back to the, the spies for a little bit, because so many times people will say, well, they were just lying to the people. No, they, the, the narrator, Moses, tells us earlier in the chapter that the Anakim were there, um, and he names three of them. So uh, I, I don't think that you can just dismiss that passage as they were. They were just lying no they were they were they were they told the report of the land and then they tried to scare the people and uh, right so they they weren't lying about seeing the giants there
1: a bad report is not the same as a false report
2: right and i think we may have mentioned that before but i just want to make yeah. sure i handled that because i i hear that a lot and it's like no you have to deal with it because moses tells us they were there
1: mm-hmm Yep, uh, and then one one other thing that I think that would be worth talking about, but chapter twenty six in your book, uh, the conquest, genocide or giant side, mm. um, is the uh, title of that chapter. I, I think I know what you're getting at there in terms of a lot of a lot of people sometimes see certain commands that God gave to the Israelites to wipe out entire nations. You know, and um, they see it as inhumane and unloving and this and that and the other. And it does, you know, one, God would be perfectly just uh, within the boundaries of his justice as a as a divine decree. You know, we would operate by, I'm not a pacifist, so I, but I would operate by uh, the certain, you know, um, uh, characteristics of just war theory and things like mm-hmm. that today. Because um, because I don't have, you know, we don't have, nations don't have a, defi- a divine decree from God to, to do that. So we, we try to fight just wars for just reasons after diplomatic... Uh, measures have been taken uh, to the utmost, and uh, all these, and, and one of the the characteristics of just war theory, theory is that you know uh, the battle has to be winnable. We don't, you don't do suicide missions, and um, so all those things. So one, God would be just within His rights um, uh, from a d- divine decree offered uh, to the Israelites to wipe out an entire nation. Uh, it would be fair on God's part, but uh, just for good measure to on you know cherry on top. What what if that nation? wasn't uh not only were they bad uh, or immoral but what if they weren't even fully human wait well, is that is that part of what you're getting at with giant side versus genocide
2: yeah because this is one of the arguments that a lot of skeptics will you know, they, they camp out on this over and over again. Oh, you worship a God who tells the Israelites, tells his people to go and wipe out all of these men, women, and children, and, you know, torture them, which he never says to torture, but, you know, they, they embellish this and they, they, they they think that they're, uh, you know, dismantling our view of God by, by focusing on this passage or on these, these passages in Joshua uh, about the conquest. But, they, they are lacking a lot of context. One, you have when God appears to Abraham, tells him, I'm going to give you this land and your descendants, but they're going to go down to a land that's not their own for you know 400 years and serve them. And then they'll be back because the iniquity of the Amalekites is not yet complete. So God's given these people 400 years. Well, He's patiently waiting and giving them an opportunity to turn and they don't. And they're getting more and more and more wicked. So it's not as if he's just, you know, on a whim one day said, oh, go kill all these people. No, these are people who are doing all sorts of exceedingly wicked things, including child sacrifice and and more. But um, one detail that I think people miss out on is Moses was told in Deuteronomy, when you go to, when the, tell the Israelites, when they go to this land, if it's some of the peoples that are far, far off, you can make a treaty, a peace treaty with them and they can serve you. Um, but these nations, and he names the ones where the giants are, um, these are the ones you're going to wipe out. And then he, what you see in Joshua after Jericho, which you know they did wipe out men, women, and children there, the, the places where they kill men, women, and children where it's specified are the places where the giants were. And is it possible that that was one of the purposes of the conquest, just like the flood we were talking about earlier, uh, that so the two cases the 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 skeptics use all the time to to attack god's character saying look at he he performed genocide at the flood no that wasn't genocide that was judgment on every single human not except for eight it wasn't just Mm. you know one lineage or one quote-unquote race It it was everybody that's judgment um and in this case it's these people groups that seem that have this seem to have you know giants among them that god says take them out Mm -hmm. um after waiting patiently for 400 years the places where they didn't they're still around in david's time and uh, still creating a problem and um, so i I think they missed that that's why that chapter genocide or giant side
1: great yep i i yeah i tend to think the same thing well let's go ahead and land the plane now for this episode um We'll do the same thing that we've done in the last two, uh, give you an opportunity to tell people where they can follow you again, plug the book. Uh, But how can, yeah, how can people, cause you write regularly, right? Um, And so how can people follow you and, uh, and where can they get your book if they want to look at more?
2: Yeah. So the the book is available on Amazon, like I mentioned before, and it's also on uh, my own website, which is uh, risenmin.com. That's that's my newer website. I have an older one where I have a blog that I do uh, update somewhat regularly, not as much as I want to, but that's uh, midwestapologetics.org. That's an an older one, but that's where my blog still is. Um, But you can get to that from the Risen Ministries page as well. Uh, So they they can follow some of my stuff there or my author page on Facebook. They could they could find me on there um yeah uh did i miss something no
1: nope. <laughs> no that's it well thank well, you so could, much could,
2: well i was gonna say actually we could talk real quickly if you don't mind um they, they could find some of my work on answers and genesis as well but as we mentioned before that's not a official you know what we're talking about here is not you know representing answers and genesis is my own thing and joel i gotta ask you now that we're on on the thing what do you think of your trip to the ark and the museum
1: it was great. It was awesome. I, you know, we went for the fight laugh feast conference and I, you know, I was just going to go and attend myself, but I was like, there's no way I can tell my kids that, you know, daddy's going to Noah's Ark and they don't get to come. So so we made it a whole family event and it was amazing. It was really, really well done. It was the, whole, the thing I kept thinking the whole time was it was just encouraging, uh, a lot of times Christians do things um, poorly. <laughs> so it was really cool to think uh, to see Christians do something with excellence, like all of it, the Creation Museum um, and the Ark, uh, but especially the Creation Museum as we were walking around on the grounds and outside and stuff, I was thinking, it reminded me of the San Diego Zoo uh, when I used to live in San Diego and, uh, and thinking like, I mean, this really is done with excellence. Like um, the worldview is entirely different than the worldview that secular... Humanist would hold but um but in terms of this being something that's um that's professional and well done um yeah it was awesome and the kids loved it so that was great so yeah we had a great time
2: oh that's awesome yeah i i say it all the time it's it's so fun to be working with a team that they believe like I do, that we should do everything as unto the Lord. And so we're trying to give them our best and everything. And it's just what a privilege and a blessing it is to to be part of a group like that. So, yeah, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. It was really good to meet you in person.
1: And yeah, great to meet you too. And one day, you know, um, I'll just, you know, keep looking forward to the day when Ken uh, adds the Nephilim exhibit. And <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> that'll, be when, that'll be
2: when I give it like a million dollar donation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. Well, Tim, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to our last uh, fourth and final episode that we'll do uh, sometime in the near future.
2: Okay. Sounds great, Joel. Thanks for having me.